Welcome to the Knackered Golfist podcast. I'm your host, the Knackered Golfist, and you are joining me in my car with my iPhone, and I am stuck in traffic, Friday afternoon traffic. This is the Friday of the Travelers Championship, also known as the Greater Hartford Open. It's taking place in uh, somewhere in Connecticut this weekend. So it's a week that usually happens the week after the U.S. Open. And so I wanted to sort of do a little bit of a closure podcast for the U.S. Open that I didn't really talk about after it happened. Because I got to admit that I was a little bit burned out with the golf and the coverage. And, um, you know, I, uh, I listened to the final uh, No Laying Up podcast that happened on Sunday. And I found those guys to be a bit critical of the venue. And there's there's actually two trains of thoughts, two trains of thought. And there's the Hawk and Perk way of thinking about it. And then there's the no laying up way of thinking about it. That's sort of inter, intergenerational or different generation viewpoint. Like no laying up represents the millennial viewpoint. And then the Hawk and Perk represents the baby boomer uh, viewpoint. And then for me, my viewpoint, the Gen X viewpoint is how did it appeal to me as a fan? Was it something that I enjoyed watching? And did I think that the fans being able to attend, were they treated to a good uh, tournament? And did they pay for a good outing at the golf course during a major championship tournament? And if, as far as I know, um, I wasn't there, obviously. I was in my living room because it was 112 degrees outside. Um, but the thing, uh, the thing that comes to my mind is I was thinking about Chambers Bay in 2015 and how that course was so treacherous to the fans. And they allowed every possible fan that wanted to attend to attend. And it wasn't, it's not the Chambers Bay course was just such a, a stark comparison or a stark difference to Torrey Pines because it was so uh, undulating. You know, the, the topography of that course really, really hurt the fans as far as I remember. There was many people that suffered, uh, you know, ankle sprains and I don't know if they, you know, Jason Day had an ankle sprain because he was suffering from like the vertigo or whatever it was. But I, I heard stories about people, you know, hurting themselves on those slopes. And if I was, if I was, if I spent a hundred dollars to go to that event and I broke and I sprained my ankle or I s broke my leg or whatever, I would be extremely angry about that stuff. Angry, you know, that kind of angry, Chris Farley kind of angry in the, uh, and the Coffee Crystal commercial, kind of angry. You lied to me! But, uh, but as far as, you know, the fans go, they only allowed eight to 12,000 people there throughout the weekend per day. Uh, and I don't know how many people they allowed in for the normal farmers, you know, pre-COVID times. I don't know. It seems to me that from the footage that I was seeing on TV that there were a lot 
there were many, many people that weren't there. And there were many people that, uh, and this was right after the mask thing was lifted in California. And so I found it to be a little bit, uh, a little bit, um, I was a little disappointed that not more fans were allowed to attend because they didn't have the huge bleachers. They only had the, like they only had like uh, small to medium sized bleachers at that event, especially um, especially uh, like close to the end, like close to eighteen, like sixteen, seventeen, eighteen could have been the only holes that had most of the bleachers. Um, you know the. Uh, the first hole, second hole, and then the third hole is that downhill par three that faces the ocean and supposedly gets the wind gusts off the ocean to make it difficult. They made that hole 200 yards, and uh, I can't remember specifically. It's been an, it's been a while, but I think Russell Hanley got a really good shot there. Boy, this traffic is really bad. Um, <sighs> Woodland, California always adds at least 40 minutes to your commute, especially on a Friday. Just saying, that's usually the way it happens. But, you know, back to the golf, uh, Torrey Pines, you know, it, it, it was a, a, I would say, you know, my experience there, I've been there either once or twice. I've only seen the, uh, the Buick Invitational once. It was back in 1995. And it, I would say that it's a fair course to to walk. I'd say it's a good um, value. I was con I was interested to know um, where they had the driving range. I was wondering if they used one of the holes on the north course as as the driving range because, as far as I remember, the driving range for both courses at Torrey Pines was sort of at an old. I don't know if it was like like on the, on the east side of the property, like like northeast side, northeast corner of the property where they had the driving range, it was really old. I mean, I saw it back in 95, and so I'm thinking that they may still have it there, or I hope it's been upgraded or whatever. But I remember the driving range being sort of out of the way of, of the two golf courses that they had for the the greater San Diego open. Um, but, uh, so I was interested, you know, and, and so you got your, so you got your major players, you got your major players doing what they did on the course. You know, I was, I was really rooting for Louis Oosthuizen and I, I was calling him Oosterhazen during my, uh, podcast coverage. And, you know, I, 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 I like doing golf coverage. I like doing golf commentary, you know, with a little bit of a flair, you know, if it's entertaining. It's entertaining for me. I was just, I'm stuck in traffic and I was listening to that and I was getting a little bit of a chuckle. So I thought it was cool. But, um, you know, Oosthuizen, Oosthuizen was, I think, affected by the slow play. And I, and I think that when they all got to 13 and they had that streaker moment where the guy was coming out of the crowd and halting play and dropped a few balls on the ground and hit him into the canyon, you know, and he was, he was, uh, you know, he was captured by the police. You know, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if that's when it all happened because 
I don't think NBC made any sort of effort to inform people that there was a streaker out there. And I'm wondering if that thing happened before Bryson DeChambeau got to 13 because, you know, I remember Bryson slipping on his foot on the tee when he hit his drive and he hit it in the rough. And, you know, I heard later that Bryson was saying that he mentioned that he was unlucky like four times during that little post-round interview. And, and the way he plays golf, that's just, I mean, that just was a bit arrogant in my opinion. A bit arrogant to say that on a U.S. Open golf course, it's okay to deliberately hit your ball in the rough. And he was also saying that, oh yeah, I won this tournament before, and that sort of thing. And that's sort of, you know, the U.S. Open is already like the third, it, it could be, it, it's also, it's the third best major championship that I, that I pay attention to. First is the Masters, second is the British Open Championship, and then you know, this year the PGA was cool because Phil Mickelson won. And then fourth could be this year, could be the U.S. Open. But, you know, you know, Huck and Perk, they, they really enjoyed the U.S. Open because it was really uh, packed with a really good leaderboard. Um, but I wanted I wanted Louis Eustazen to win. And I, I really think that he was affected. You know, I remember I remember seeing that Oosthuizen was waiting on 13T and Bryson was, I think he got a, a seven on the, on the 13th hole. He hit it in the rough on the right and then he hacked it out. He hacked it forward to get further in the rough above, uh, you know, further along in the fairway, but he wasn't in the fairway. He was in the rough. He hacked it further forward and then he chunked it over the green into like a Stella Artois uh, beer uh, box or whatever. And, you know, that's that's what you would see on a public golf course. You know, you'd see that. You'd see bottles of beer everywhere and people losing their leaving their stuff, you know, for other people to pick up. I used to work on a public golf course, I know. But uh, so I thought, I thought uh, Bryson was really inconsiderate because he wasn't leading the tournament. He was collapsing and he was taking forever with all of his professorial uh, stuff that he does that's really quite annoying. And I really think he, that he should have been put on the clock for slow play. And I think that, I mean, it's probably just a no-brainer that Bryson caused Louis Oosthuizen to, to fail. Louis Oosthuizen to lose his mojo. But, you know, it's, it's not, I mean, Louis Oosthuizen wasn't I don't know. Bryson Bryson does his annoying things. He hits it in the rough deliberately during a U.S. Open, probably the most disrespectful thing you could do. And there you go. That's that's the thing that that really sort of uh, that makes the U.S. Open. Oh man, he couldn't overcome the length of the rough this year. He couldn't overcome it. He shot. I think he shot 33 on the front nine in the front and the in the final round, and then he shot like 42 or 44 on the back nine, because after 13 he just completely collapsed, and he was just hacking it around. He lost his swing. He was saying in his interview, and and then Louis Oosthuizen was 
a uh, he was he was affected by it because if if people were playing their normal speed, I don't I don't think Louis Eustazen would have had the problems that he that he suffered through. But uh, you know, Rom, you know, there was a duel between Kepka and Bryson at the, in the early part of the back nine, and they really tried to sort of cash in on that sort of rivalry going on. And they did the uh, the the back to back sort of Bryson uh, Brooks sort of television squares on the on the screen. But uh, Kepka had some good shots coming in. I, I can't remember off the top of my head what he actually shot, but uh, <clears throat> he may have shot like four under or something like that <laughs> for the tournament. But just um, I was rooting for I was rooting for Louis Ustazen and. You know, uh, what do you call it? Um, Rory McIlroy wasn't doing well either. He was, he really collapsed on the 12th hole. And it just, it just didn't, it just, he had a terrible hole on 12 and he couldn't recover from that. And I think he, he was playing with Russell Henley and Henley didn't do well. But, you know, <clears throat> when Oosthuizen, Oosthuizen, I believe, as far as I remember, he parred 16 which was uh, an amazing feat because he got that ball in the middle of the green off the tee shot and the pin was cut and back left probably back center green left and he made the putt for for par he left it maybe five or six feet short from his uh, birdie putt that he left short and then he made the par putt so thank god for that but then it all came undone on 17 when he hit his ball he hit his ball left on the tee shot, and it went into the canyon, and that's when it all came it all came about. It all came undone. But the thing is, is that he, I, I can't remember the score that he got on 17, but uh, it was he may have gotten a. I think he did get a bogey. I think he did get a bogey on that hole. Um, and then when 18 happened, I think that somebody yelled something in in Oosthuizen's backswing. And he hit it left, he hit it in the rough, <coughs> hit it in the rough, and that's the end of it. I mean, he all he could do was lay up. He may have had um, 125, 130 yards to the green from the uh, from the first part of the fairway, you know, or actually, sorry, the, the beginning part of the approach, I don't know. But, uh, you know that's what that's what he faced, and he he got it on the green, and he made birdie on that hole, which put him at five under, one stroke behind John Rom, who shot six under for the tournament. And John Rom, I thought he was going along, not really making any putts during the back nine. I really wasn't rooting for him because I don't like his hot headedness. I don't like. I don't like what he displayed at the Players' Championship. I think it was on the 11th hole, and he, he was in the bunker, and he thought he could get on the green in two. But his caddy told him to lay up, and he said, no, I'm not doing it like that. I'm going to go this way, and he hits it in the water. The most boneheaded thing I've ever seen him do. But I, I, I have to say that there's been a lot of attention paid to John Rom's humility this week, especially your last week at the U.S. Open, especially have after having to withdraw from the Memorial Tournament 
Jack Nicholas's version of the Masters, which I think is, I'm so glad, I can't stand the Memorial Tournament. I just cannot stand it. I think it is, it, it's not, it, it's, it's, it doesn't look like a it's, a, it's a course that had so many facelifts and it's a course that I don't like. I mean, I don't like the layout of that golf course. I just don't like it. The only thing I remember about the Memorial Tournament is in 1993, Paul Azinger holed out from the bunker to defeat uh, Payne Stewart. And that was, if you ever see that, if you're younger than I am, a lot younger than I am, look that up, Paul Azinger, 1993, at the Memorial Tournament. And that's one of the greatest shots, probably the greatest shot I've ever seen Paul Azinger hit. He just, he just puts his ping sand wedge underneath the ball it fluffs it on the green and it goes in the hole and he won by a shot. And Payne Stewart was wearing Cleveland Browns, orange and brown uh, garb that day. But Paul Azinger, that was, and, and that's the only thing I remember about the Memorial Tournament. You know, Tiger won it a bunch of times. I couldn't tell you when. It, it's a tournament that's like a blah in my mind. I cannot stand it. So for John Rahm to be denied him to be able to win the Memorial Tournament because of the of what happened with the COVID, I think it is a great and amazing thing that he won the U.S. Open instead because he is he's got the gift. He's got the he's the, he's he's the man of the hour right now. He could be number one in the world soon, and I think he was. And I think that. Um, the way he paid homage to Seve Ballesteros when he got the trophy from the U.S. Open guy, uh, you know, Seve, Seve was of great influence to many people, and I really appreciate Seve right now, and I miss him. He was an amazing magician on the golf course watching him play, and he had a charisma that a lot of people don't have right now. We, you know, we need a we need a Seve Ballesteros, and I think John Rahm could fit that bill and I think you listen to him and he doesn't sound Spanish at all he doesn't sound like Sergio or Seve or Jose Maria Ozabal for that matter but um, Spanish golfers oh Miguel Angel Jimenez oh I love that guy too that guy's got loads of charisma that guy is so freaking cool I can't stand it I love that guy Miguel Angel Jimenez oh <laughs> so cool I asked him once we, he was playing at the U.S. Senior Open in Sacramento at, at, uh, at um, what do you call it? God, what's that place called? Del Paso Country Club. They had the U.S. Senior Open there in the 2015. And I asked him, so how, how are the greens? Los Verdes? Es bueno. <laughs> so he was cool. He's a cool cat. So I, 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 I think that... Um, I'll give, I, I think John Rahm's a good kid to, to win, and he's got, he's a, he's a, he's a new dad, and he is, he was holding his little baby boy when he won the U.S. Open, and his wife was there with him, and Phil Mickelson was sort of hanging out with the wife while, while John Rahm was hitting balls, getting ready for if there was going to be a playoff, and I'm thankful if, the, if there, if, if it did go to a playoff, that was cool because it wasn't going to be on a Monday and people wouldn't have to call in sick and go to the tournament anyway. They would have had 
I don't know, two or three hole playoff on the U.S. Open on the Sunday afternoon, which I think is a much better solution because that whole Monday playoff thing is such a, it's so bad. It was so awful for people to have to come out to the course again, miss work, and have to take a vacation day or sick day or whatever, you know, whatever. You know, a lot of people came out for the Tiger and Rocco Mediate uh, playoff, and that was that was a big deal back then. So, in hindsight, I think it was it was good that John Rahm won, and it was a it was a good it was a good tournament. It had a really good leaderboard, and um, I'm glad that John Rahm won. Looking at it now, looking at the whole weekend in perspective, you know. I can, I'll give John Rahm the benefit of the doubt from now on if he has one of those hot-headed moments. You know, um, I think this, uh, this U.S. Open victory will sort of calm some of the critics and make other people think that, you know what, this kid, in an era where people are not that charismatic, you know, he's got a, he's got a little bit more charisma than some of the other people out there, so... I commend John Rahm for winning the U.S. Open. Congratulations. And I think it was the outcome that people wanted. And as a golf fan, I think his last two putts for birdie on the 17th and 18th hole were spectacular because it really got people motivated. It really got people riled up. Really people, I mean, my son, I was talking to my son for Father's Day when uh, Rahm was hitting his putt on 18. And I'm going to talk to my son for Father's Day um, over listening to John Rahm making a putt. But he made a putt, and everybody just went crazy. Everybody went freaking nuts, and uh, that's what happened. And it was, and it was good. It was good that that happened. So I'm thankful that it ended the way it did, and I'm sorry that Louis Oosthuizen lost. You know, hopefully Louis Oosthuizen can get the major that he's been desperately wanting to win for the last. Relax. The, the, for all the times that he's finished second place in majors, is he is he close to Greg Norman yet? I don't know. But um, but yeah, he won the 2010 uh, British Open at St Andrews, which was extremely high achievement deal there. I don't think he's won. I don't think he's won anything else. So anyway, I'm glad that uh, John Rahm won the U.S. Open. So good guy, and playing Callaway golf. He played a uh, older version, but new version, uh, Odyssey Rossi uh, putter. That it was very, very similar to the putter that Nick Faldo used to win the Masters in 96 over Greg Norman. But I think the insert, I mean, the insert was obviously different. It had the white hot face or whatever it was. So, uh, anyway, I think, uh, yeah, so that's it. That's the U.S. Open uh review on the knackered golfist podcast and i thank you for listening i thank you for listening to me while i'm trying to get through this horrible horrible friday afternoon traffic and uh thank you for listening thank you for your support and uh never wear your golf shoes on the practice green and oh that uh blue and yellow uh srixon q star tour i think came out last week so i gotta get one of those so I'll probably, I'll probably be going to the putting green probably tomorrow. It'll be on the coast. I'm going to take a coastal drive tomorrow. 
So anyway, thanks folks for listening and check out my check out my YouTube channel, the Knacker Golfist on YouTube. And stay tuned for more content on the Knacker Golfist podcast. Good night. Thanks for listening, folks. This is the Knackered Golfist Radio Network.